Hello, and welcome to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh as he gives an encouraging word titled, Wonders of Insight. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each of you. God bless you in Jesus' name. Let's say a little prayer together, and then we'll get into the message. Thank you, Lord, for your wonderful word and for your communication to us and that you teach us and lead us into all truth. We pray that you'll do a whole bunch of that through this message. And uh, let's just have a delightful time together. And we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to speak on the subject, the wonders of insight. Now, God communicates to us in various ways. And one of the ways is through giving us insight. Insight is a type of wisdom that takes knowledge in one area and sees how to apply it in other areas to our great benefit. So insight has nothing to work with unless there's knowledge first. So they always work together. First knowledge and insight takes it and applies it in other areas. Now there's lots of insight available to us and we're wasting most of it. So the Bible says about uh, Solomon, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. He spoke about plant life from the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29 and verse 33. Well, in other words, uh, any, any knowledge about the things of nature there, there's, there's insight that would help us take knowledge about those things and apply it to other areas. And God has been giving me insight into ryegrass, crane fly larvae, or the grubs, pow annua, which is annual Kentucky bluegrass. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it takes a good deal of knowledge to have a really nice lawn and keep it nice. So I've learned a lot the hard way about lawn care, but now I have a good deal of knowledge about how to protect a lawn, make it beautiful, and prevent weeds and pests from taking it over. So that knowledge has helped me rescue my lawn from destruction. However, the insight that God has given me about how to apply this knowledge in other areas has me excited about spiritual opportunities and the will of God for my life. In this message, I'll share some knowledge about lawns and also the insight that I've been receiving, which has given me important spiritual strategies. Now, my first point is go to seed or go to irrelevance and extinction. One of the worst enemies of a beautiful lawn is uh, Powell annua, which is commonly called annual Kentucky bluegrass. It looks like Kentucky bluegrass, but it's a lighter shade of green. It has a shallower root system and uh, doesn't get very high. It immediately makes seeds. And if you don't pull it up by the roots, it'll take over your lawn in a single season. What makes it so prolific is the seeds that it produces. Now, you can set your lawnmower at the lowest level, and that'll chop off a lot of the seeds before they can drop into the ground and sprout. But it just adjusts, and it starts producing seeds when it's only about a half an inch from the ground. I mean, it's an amazing weed grass. And it produces seed from early spring until the hard frosts. It's like, like a maple tree that's in our neighbor's yard. When the leaves first come on the tree, it it pushes off a whole bunch of seeds, but it's just a one-time event, but not so with uh, uh, annual Kentucky bluegrass. It's all, all the growing season from early spring to the hard freezes. Now, dandelions, are they also go to seed quickly, and something about them, you know, every flower turns into a little globe of seeds, and, and uh, each seed has its own flying ability. You know, it's got a little umbrella-like thing. So what can we learn from that? Well, insight from God will help us take the knowledge of why these weeds are so dominant and apply the truth to our own lives, to our churches, and to our nation. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 2 Corinthians 9.6 This scripture is used to teach that giving to God's work brings earthly and heavenly rewards. 
But let's apply it to the survival of the church. If church people do not sow the seeds of the gospel in their culture, other things will sow their seeds and become dominant. And those other things might be communism, atheism, transgender ideology, false religions, and, and racism, and the list goes on. Now, when we have a Christian nation, uh, I mean, no nation is ever perfect, but when, when the tone of the nation is Christian, the rule of law is respected and adhered to. But see, the Antichrist is the very spirit of lawlessness. So the farther we get away from Christ, the farther we get away from respect of law. And human life has little value. See, if there is no God, then there's no judgment for sin. And there's no consequence for sin unless you get caught by a human and punished by some human. But there's no everlasting punishment, which is a, a, a marvelous motivation to realize that there's a burning hell, that there's no comfort, no way out, and that it's forever. Now, we once had a, a pretty much of a Christian nation, two great awakenings early in the history of America, as well as our founding documents, made for something that looked like a beautiful lawn, all right? We had a beautiful nation, but not many Christians bore seed, and few sowed the seeds of the gospel, so we were not like annual Kentucky bluegrass. Now we look around in the weeds of socialism, atheism, Satanism, occultism, lawlessness of every kind is abounding. You see, here, here it is. Whatever sows the most seed dominates the culture. And insight would tell us that it's in our own self-interest to witness daily about Christ, to pass out gospel tracts, to invite people to church. Now, I personally want to go to seed. <laughs> Three years ago, we hired a lawn company to destroy the messed up lawn. This uh, annual Kentucky bluegrass, Powell Annua, had invaded it in just one year and taken over about a third of it. And, and we ended up having the lawn company come in and kill the whole lawn front and back, scrape off all the uh, dead grass and, and reseed the whole thing. Well, then the next year, we had the most beautiful lawn in the whole you know, neighborhood, at least, for one year. Now, what happened was that the lawn company that we had hired, and they were trimming it and mowing it and all that, but when spring came, they did not put down a pre-emergent. And that annual Kentucky bluegrass, I don't know whether the seed was in the soil or whether the birds brought it in, but it just had a field day. It just started to take over again. Well, uh, you see, we, we're not going to live in a Christian country with all these wonderful freedoms if we do not constantly seed our faith in God. Now, my second point is a pre-emergent must be applied early on. You know, at first I despaired of ever being able to keep this Pau Annua out of my lawn. It's in all the neighbors' lawns. It's going to invade and try to conquer. However, this weed grass has two points of vulnerability. Now, God gives us knowledge to defeat such things, and one of the weaknesses of the grass is that it's annual, so it dies during the winter and has to come back from its seed. But this can be prevented by putting down a pre-emergent in early February. Now, we live in western Oregon, and spring usually starts in February. Daffodils are the first flower to bloom and announce the coming of spring, and they always bloom in February. So this year, I put down a pre-emergent in mid-February, and this greatly slowed down this uh, Powell annua, you know, annual Kentucky bluegrass. And it also prevented the growth of uh, broadleaf weeds, now, the other weakness of this weed grass is that it has shallow roots. They can be real dense and thick, but they only go down about a half an inch. Then their roots are something like steel wool. You know, they're just uh, little tiny threads that are matted together. But you can reach down, grab a fistful of it, and just literally pull it, pull it up easily, like pulling a wig off of somebody. And uh, so if you, if you see it growing in your lawn... 
what I do now is I just reach down and grab it and pull it up. Now I've got a hole in the lawn, which I'll have to put seed and, and peat moss, but I won't let that grass uh, grow. There's no, uh, there's no peace treaty with that stuff. <laughs> it's going to take, it's going to take over if you let it, uh, if you let it go to seed. So now I'm totally alert. I'm mindful to put down the pre-emergent very early every spring. Now that lawn company didn't do that. And uh, boy, that really cost us a lot of, uh, you know, anxiety as we watched the lawn deteriorate. Now there's some knowledge, but what insight can we gain from it? So spiritual insight says you'd better put down a pre-emergent in the early spring of a human life. In other words, minister to children, teach them right away. And as you teach them about the Creator God and Jesus, it will serve as a pre-emergent, preventing weeds of lawlessness, atheism, and perversion. So Insight says if you don't make a strong effort to fill children with truth early on, bad beliefs like weed grasses will invade. And the Bible says, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. In other words, they were supposed to teach the stories of the Bible, the testimonies of the miracles. And uh, he appointed a law, so they were, they were supposed to teach those things to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, Psalms 78. Recently, God put it on my heart to start a tract ministry. And uh, over the years, I've written and published about half a dozen illustrated books. But I haven't written a book for children or made a tract for children. Now, that's going to change, see, because I'm getting insight from this uh, lawn business. I'm developing a new tract called The Creation Play. And the idea of the tract is to destroy evolution before it can sprout, the idea that there's no God. Now, the artwork is going to feature uh, probably young teenagers so that children and teenagers can both read it and relate to it. Each of the three scenes, because it'll have, it's called The Creation Play, and it'll have scene one, scene two, scene three. At the end of each scene, there'll be a youth that says, uh, there must be a creator God, and I'd like to know God and be a friend of God. That'll repeat three times. And then the last part of the track will feature Jesus inviting the reader into a relationship with the creator God and, of course, himself, the Savior, Jesus Christ. For years, I've thought about making coloring books for kids with a picture to color on one page and then on the opposite page, having a scripture to memorize, and then a little paragraph or two of uh, teaching that a parent could read with the child, help them memorize the verse, and then the child could color the picture. So what I'm doing now is I'm starting to think about pre-emergence. I've seen how absolutely vital it is if you want to have a nice lawn. And so if you want to have a nice church, nice family, nice nation, we have to have our spiritual pre-emergence. Inside also says that lies and falsehoods have shallow roots, meaning they're illogical. They can be pulled up with a little bit of reason. So in this new track, the creation play, one shows a little girl coming home from school and saying, today I learned that we all evolved. We all evolved. And the dad said, that's true. The girl says, so I'm not going to clean my room anymore. I'm going to leave my window open and let the forces of nature make my bed, put my clothes in the hamper and organize my room. The dad says, now you're being stupid. The, the second law of thermodynamics says that organization must be injected into the outside, uh, from the outside into any system. And if you don't do that, that system will always become more disorganized. You could leave your room alone for a trillion years and evolution would never make your bed or organize your stuff. And the girl says, well, then how could evolutionize, organize our bodies to function in such an organized way? Every part works together. Systems work with systems. There has to be a great organizer. And then she thinks, and I'd like to know this God and be a friend of God. Well, 
my artist has drawn some pencil drawings, we'll have a big pile of body parts of ears and eyes and brain and internal organs and bones, all in a haphazard pile. And uh, the girl will be asking, uh, you know, if, if there has to be a God that organized this physical body. It couldn't just be done by chance. If the room could never, if the bed could never be made by evolution, then it'd certainly be a whole lot harder to evolve male and females. Now, my point is God wants us to pull atheism up at the roots with this kind of just very simple truth that has invaded the minds of so many. But you see, it doesn't take much logic to pull up that uh, shallow roots of that belief. Now, in another scene of this creation play, a student finds an arrowhead and insists that the ocean made it over billions of years. So a professor scoffs and says the ocean could never make a, 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 you know, a rock with sharp edges like that. That's a, in a trillion years, the, the wave action grinding it against other rocks wouldn't sharpen it. It would make it dull. It would make it round. Can't you see all the sea, all the stones on the beach? They're rounded. So you know, an early tribesman made that. It had to be made by the hand of man. That's an artifact. So then the student asks, well, who made the man that made the arrowhead? It would be easier for an arrowhead, a simple arrowhead, to evolve than for a mankind, male and female, with speech, brains, the ability to reproduce. Then he thinks, there must be a God who made the man. And I'd like to know God and be God's friend. Well, then there's scene three, where a student asks a professor if a bee can survive by itself. The professor says, no, a bee has to be part of a hive. It would die very quickly, alone. So then the student asks, then did a whole beehive evolve at once? And the uh, professor is frowning, and then, uh, you know, then the student asks, well, if bees have to get uh, pollen, then, then didn't uh, a flower have to evolve at the very same time and place as the bee? And since a beehive had to evolve all at once, since a bee couldn't survive by itself, then uh, a whole bunch of flowers enough to feed all the bees, had to evolve at the same time and the same place simultaneously. And that sounds like creation to me. Well, then the end of the tract will feature Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, inviting people to know God and be a friend of God. My third point, so, so I'm, I'm thinking pre-emergent. <laughs> all right, now my third point is crane fly grubs are the worst. I've never known what a crane fly was. I've seen these big uh, things that look like a giant mosquito with the legs of a daddy long leg spider. They're clumsy. They don't fly fast. They're easily killed. But those things are deadly to your lawn. Those lay eggs in your lawn and they turn into little larva, uh, what we call grubs. They're about a half inch to three quarters of an inch. They look like a little tiny earthworm, about the same width is a worm, but not the same length, just little short things. And they eat the roots of the grass. And so then, without ever being seen, you know, the grass just starts to die, and you wonder, what in the world's going on? I water it, I fertilize it. I, well, the crane flies have invaded. Now, I didn't uh, have any knowledge about these pests, so I had to learn the hard way. And I always tell people, if you learn from my mistakes, you'll be getting wisdom at a wholesale price, see? But if you make the mistake yourself, you'll pay retail. So I paid retail for this knowledge, and I'm passing it on wholesale to you. So the crane fly lays its eggs in lawns, and then the larva eats the roots and, and uh, of the grass and kills it. So we had this beautiful, nice front lawn, and it got to looking more and more sickly. Most of the, the Kentucky bluegrass uh, had invaded the backyard, and the front yard was pretty much free of that pest, but then it started getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And finally, just almost completely big old bare patches were there, and I... I dug up a whole shovel full with some grass, took it to a garden store. He looked at it, and he said, well, it doesn't have to have any roots. We didn't happen to see any uh, larvae, and he didn't know what was going on. So, you know, I had that sermon called Cast All Your Cares on Jesus. Well, I was casting this care of my lawn on the Lord, and one day 
I drove into the driveway, and there was a whole flock of starlings in the lawn. And uh, I didn't really know what a starling was or looked like, but I was admiring these birds. They have uh, yellow beaks about, uh, an, about close to an inch long, bright yellow like a banana. And they just hopped a few inches, and they heard or perceived something. They poke their beak way down fast into the ground and come up with a grub and then tip their head back and swallow it. And then they'd only go a few inches and they'd do that again because the ground was just filled with grubs. So there was a whole flock of them doing that. And uh, after they left, I looked at the ground and it looked like my yard had been aerated by these birds. There were little holes all over the place. And the opening of the hole looked like it was about, uh, you know, close to the size of your tip of your little finger because they had plunged their beak all the way in to get those grubs. So then, uh, then that uh, made me know that the problem with my lawn was that they were getting bugs out of the ground. So one day I pulled up some some grass out in the front lawn, and sure enough, there were... Uh, those little grubs about a half inch to a three quarters of an inch long. And uh, so I went and bought a grub killer and I put that on the lawn. But two weeks later, the birds were back still finding and eating grubs. So it hadn't worked very well. So I bought a second type of, of uh, grub killer, a more powerful one, and I put that on really liberally. Now when the birds come, they hop all over the lawn. They hop real quickly. They go from one corner to the other and then they fly off because... They don't detect any grubs, praise the Lord. <laughs> now, when I talked to the lawn expert, he told me there'd be no use replanting new seeds in all the bare places unless the grubs were dead because otherwise you'd plant new seed and they'd immediately devour the roots. So that's knowledge. Now, what does insight do with knowledge like that? Okay, so insight takes the knowledge from one area, applies it to another area, and I understood what Paul meant when he wrote, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, <clears throat> they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now notice he, he didn't just say we preach the gospel. He said we demolish arguments and every pretension. Well, I've always used that verse just to take my own thoughts captive, but Paul wasn't talking just about taking our own thoughts captive or demolishing the arguments in our own head. Uh, I believe he was talking about that, but also demolishing the arguments and pretensions that he ran into in the culture. <clears throat> now, I've always hated false doctrine. Years ago, I lived in Omaha, Nebraska, and I'd go for prayer walks and take a big stick and I'd use it to knock the heads off of Russian thistles that were <clears throat> growing in this uh, around the lake where I walked. And I'd pretend the Russian thistles were false doctrines, and so I'd knock their heads off. Now I have another image of false doctrine, and that is grubs that are eating the roots of the grass. I would like to know, if anybody knows, how, how the starlings detect the grubs. Do they feel a vibration? Do they hear them? Do they smell them? <clears throat> because they can't see them. Well, that'd be interesting. Now, when we send Christian young people off to colleges and they come back with the roots of their faith eaten away, you know, it's because they're eaten away by the grubs of arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Paul wrote to Titus, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. See, early, even in the early church, when all the seeds were planted and the beautiful lawn of Christianity was rising, immediately the devil uh, began to sow, uh, you know, the bad grasses and the... Uh, and the grubs and stuff that would mess up the church. I suppose that modern distractions could also act much like the root-eating larva if eating away at our spiritual roots. Now, what are roots, spiritual roots? Well, the roots of a plant seek water. 
And so spiritual roots are your ways of seeking God. All right? And so if something destroys one of the ways that you seek God, then you've lost a root. So I wonder what might be attacking your spiritual roots. What are, what's attacking your ways of seeking God? It doesn't have to be a, a socialism or communism or Satanism or atheism. It could just be playing computer games so late at night that you go to bed tired and then you don't get up and have any quiet time with the Lord in the morning. See, it doesn't have to be sinful to be a distraction. But distractions, even if they're not sinful, can work ruin on us if they destroy our spiritual roots. So examine your life. Grubs are going to be after your spiritual roots, <laughs> whether they're false teachers or distractions. And you'll have to kill off the grubs or they'll kill off your roots. So what kind of grubs are killing off Christianity in America? Now, see, I'm thinking about pre-emergent tracts and pre-emergent booklets, pre-emergent books. But I'm thinking, too, of grub killer tracks. <laughs> and one I have in mind, uh, I just have it in mind, but uh, I'd like to have a coffee maker and a toaster having a conversation. And uh, the coffee maker says, I'm a coffee maker. And the toaster said, me too. I'm identifying as a coffee maker. Well, you know, the toaster will end up pouring water in one slot and uh, coffee in the other. And then uh, when it's plugged in, the power hits. Of course, there'd be a big uh, bunch of sparks and and the toaster would really be uh, burned out. Uh, well, I haven't written all the dialogue. I'm just thinking, see, I'm starting to think what would what would be a grub killer? Because one of the things I really detest is the... Uh, men finding a new way to oppress women. And I think that uh, men in uh, women's sports claiming to be women, that is, uh, that's a very obnoxious thing to me because it's the oppression of women, men oppressing women in a new way by claiming to be women. You know, I'd like to destroy that, uh, but I won't, uh, I won't become a terrorist or anything. But see, I'd like to have truth that destroys uh, something that would destroy Christianity, and I'd rather destroy it first. Racism is another grub destroying our culture, critical race theory, and its curriculums are just invading our schools. Believe me, they want to eat the roots of, our, uh, <clears throat> of Christianity. So may God help us to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We can't just, you can't, you can't just have a pretty lawn if you just leave it, you know? If you just leave it, and all you do is mow it and water it, you're letting, you know, you're gonna, then everything else is gonna invade it, and pretty soon you'll have not so nice a lawn. Now, in the same way, we've, we've, got, to, uh, we've got to protect our churches, our families, and if we want a righteous, law-abiding nation that respects Christianity, uh, we've got to sow our seeds, we've got to put down our pre-emergent, we've got to have our grub killers. Now, my fourth point is you've got to plant the good seed. After you pull up the clumps of annual Kentucky bluegrass, after you kill the crane fly grubs, then you've got to plant fresh lawn grass. And I learned that the best way to get seed to sprout, listen to this now, is to cover it with about a half an inch of peat moss. I didn't know that. I used to try to cover it with straw, which works pretty good, but then it's messy and, and straw can cause seed to get moldy. And then you always have to clean up the straw and it looks like a mess the whole time. But peat moss holds the moisture so the seed doesn't dry out. And because it's just light, fluffy soil, it, uh, as the seed sprouts, it just blends right in with the ground. You don't have to clear anything off. So it's really, really effective. Well, I'm, uh, I've got, I have been working on the lawn for a couple of weeks, and uh, I would, you know, seed one area, cover it with peat moss. Then I'd have to go and prepare a bunch of other areas, uh, you know, and, and all the holes and stuff, and and so they're coming up in different stages. Uh, 
but I've had some wonderful success in my first two rounds. Some of the new grass is uh, about three inches tall now. Some of it's uh, about an inch tall, and some of it hasn't sprouted yet because uh, it, it takes five to ten days to, to germinate. But I'm going to have a beautiful lawn. And uh, But you see, I had to put down the pre-emergent. I had to pull up the bad grass. I had to kill the grubs. Then I had to plant the seed, and then I had to cover the seed, and then I had to keep it moist. Now, Jesus said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Mark chapter 4. The gospel of the kingdom of God is the most powerful seed in the world. In the parable of the sower, Jesus said that the word of God is the seed, and the one who hears the word and understands it produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. In other words, you receive the seed and then you go to seed. Now, America needs to be reseeded. See, we, it's, not, it's like a bad lawn that's gotten so bad. Once my lawn was completely reseeded, and then after three or four years, about half of it has to be reseeded. Well, that's uh, in our self-interest to be reseeding America. Why would it be self-interest? When the remnant of the nation of Judah was taken captive to Babylon, almost all of the Jews were killed at one point, and uh, the rest were taken to Babylon as captives, the prophet Jeremiah said, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. God said it through Jeremiah. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah 29.7 So, it wasn't just the right thing to do. I mean, God didn't say, Now pray for your city, because that's the right thing to do. He, he said, Pray for your city for your own self-interest. If it prospers, you're going to prosper. Now, in the same way, it's in your self-interest to witness, to share your faith. See, I've been trying to get, if I could influence all of you, I'd try to get all of you to get my tracks or better ones if you can find better ones. Carry them with you. Hand them out during the day or even go house to house uh, systematically. But the point is, go to seed. It's in your self-interest to do that because the more sinners are converted, the less drug dealers, the less thieves, the less rioters, the less terrorists, the fewer drunk drivers. Now, you get the point. All right, my fifth point is you've got to cover the seed. So when I plant grass seed, I carefully cover it with peat moss. If the seed is just on top of the ground, it, it uh, not nearly as much sprouts, if any. But the peat moss is light and fluffy, and it holds the water, holds the seed in place. And then, it, you know, you can uh, keep it uh, moist. And uh, then in, it will, it'll germinate, and you'll just have tremendous success. Now, I like to liken prayer... Uh, covering spiritual seed, sort of like that peat moss. More spiritual seed's going to sprout if it's covered in prayer. You know, now when I plant seed, I wouldn't, I would not think of just putting seed in a hole where I pulled up some Kentucky, annual Kentucky bluegrass, just put seed in there and hope that the grass fills it. No, I put the seed in there. I put the peat moss over it, and then I make sure that I go out two or three times a day and uh, water it. We're having a pretty hot, dry May. Oregon is in a drought. They're predicting a bad fire season. So anyway, I'm gonna have to, I have to work at keeping it uh, moist and wet. But it's really working. It's really sprouting. Now, Paul <coughs> covered uh, the seeds of the gospel with a lot of prayer. So he prayed things like this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable power for us who believe. 
I suppose he prayed that for the whole area around Ephesus, for all the people. Oh, God, open the eyes of their heart. Enlighten them so they'll know this great hope to, to, that you're calling them to. And then Paul wrote, God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness, how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. He also said, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he requested prayer. He said, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Well, we <clears throat> definitely want to go to seed. <clears throat> we want to reseed America, but we want to cover it with a whole lot of prayer. Now, folks, listen carefully. It would not be smart if I pulled up the bad grass so that there was a hole in the lawn and then filled it with peat moss but didn't put any seed in it. And that's what it's like if we just say, well, let's pray for our culture. Let's pray for our goofed up, messed up culture. But if we don't put any seed out there, then it's like the person who... Uh, doesn't seed, but just puts peat moss where he wants new lawn to grow. Now, I think that it's my humble little opinion that uh, that the church as a whole would once in a while pray for the culture, but almost do nothing to plant seed. So let's get it right. Let's uh, use insight here. And we've got to put out the seed and then cover the seed immediately. Cover it with prayer, all right? Now, my sixth point is you got to keep it watered. So to get the seed to sprout in those planted areas, it has to stay moist or wet. And this requires some diligence as seeds sprout in five to ten days. And you just don't dare let them dry out in some hot weather but it's such a joy to see the, all those little stems of green grass coming up where it was bare. I can close my eyes and see it. <laughs> Any time of day or night I close my eyes, I see grass sprouting. It's made such an impression on me. And then after they all sprout, the lawns need regular faithful watering. So if a sprinkler head is turned off or turned the wrong way, the lawn will suffer. And... Uh, one time a patch of lawn was looking bad and and I discovered that a big fern leaf, because we have two big ferns, and that had grown down over the top of the sprinkler head so that a certain amount of the water would hit that leaf and not make it out onto the grass. So I had to cut the big fern leaf off and the problem was solved. The grass became green again. Now, spiritual insight tells us that <clears throat> while there needs to be some evangelism, some seed sowing, a whole lot of our time needs to be spent in watering or teaching to bring the new believers to full maturity. <clears throat> uh, God said in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than, than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So God's word can be like rain, like snow, uh, as well as like seed. The word of salvation is a miraculous seed, but the water of God's word is the teaching of his word about his ways. Paul wrote, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And Moses wrote, let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. Deuteronomy 32. 
let my teaching fall like rain. I, when, when I describe my kind of teaching, I tell people it's like gentle rain, gentle rain with occasional thunder and lightning, okay? <laughs> occasional preaching anointing mixes in there a little bit. <clears throat> but mostly what people need is uh, the rain of teaching. If a sermon is just all yelling and shouting and foaming at the mouth, that's just a lightning storm. That's all that is, and it's not so great for, for the growth. Now, as I walk around our little town, we've got a town of close to 6,000, I see that most lawns have serious problems. I was walking with my granddaughter looking at garage sales the, the Saturday before Mother's Day. They had a big citywide thing of every, so many people were having garage sales all at once. And the city promoted that. <clears throat> well, we walked around, and I was saying to uh, my granddaughter, Serenity, now that lawn, you see, that has annual Kentucky bluegrass taking it over. And, and look at this lawn here. You can tell the grubs. See how they're making that trail like that? You can tell there's grubs in that lawn. She was getting sick of all my uh, instruction. <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm amazed that most people have rotten-looking lawns, uh, at least in our town. And uh, <clears throat> I, I just, uh, I want to have a great lawn, and then I want to apply all the truth, whatever I've learned, into the culture. I, I am dreaming and praying that we could have a reseeded America, uh, and, and not to make America great again, but to make America righteous again. See, the political... Uh, slogan there, make America great again, or make, or keep America great, uh, but we could be great and not be righteous, and we wouldn't be really great in God's eyes. So make America righteous again. Now the psalmist wrote, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. That's uh, Psalm 71, verse 18. That's one of my verses. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God. I had a great day today. I had uh, $1,100 donated in one day to buy books for prisons. I had uh, a whole lot of fun boxing up uh, the 21 Ways to Forgive and sending that out. And I still have uh, $500 worth of books to send out tomorrow. Now, my seventh point, I'll mow the lawn, I'll trim it, I'll fertilize it, and I'll spray for moss. See, there's a third enemy of good lawns, and that is moss. Now, <clears throat> once that new grass is established, you know, then I'll mow it. And uh, once it, it's got to get established enough before I fertilize it. And uh, before winter, I'm going to spray an iron spray. And you just get a bottle of uh, iron-type liquid and hook it onto the end of the hose and then you spray water but it contains a lot of iron and that is not a poison but it iron in water kills moss it just turns it black and then you can uh, scrape it up so in some of the areas of our lawn the moss wants to take over and and previously besides the annual Kentucky bluegrass and the crane fly grubs Moss had destroyed a f about a foot-wide strip the whole length of our house, you know, 30, 40 feet, and then also did a bunch of damage in the backyard. Well, that's what you do with moss. You, uh, you spray it with that iron spray. And now it's uh, beautiful to see the new grass coming up in those areas where once the moss ruled. And so... Uh, Having a good lawn really takes intention, knowledge, alertness, discipline, and I'm determined not to leave any step out. I want to have a, a beautiful lawn. When I wrote the song, Cast All Your Cares on Jesus, one verse said, You make a man, you made a man from dust, Lord, water you turn to wine. Make some wonderful thing from each care I bring. I cast my cares on you. And one of my cares was the frustration with the lawn because I didn't have the knowledge of what was killing it or invading it, and I was so frustrated. I didn't know how to stop the bad grasses. Well, now I'm on course to have a beautiful lawn, maybe the most beautiful in the neighborhood or in the whole city. And uh, the insight that I've received is, 
is putting me on a course to develop tracks and booklets that will be spiritual pre-emergence and grub killers. I feel this is a very strong uh, spiritual urgency, a strategy from the Holy Spirit. I, I think that the crane fly invasion of my lawn was the worst in the city, and why did God let it happen to me? I think he was... Uh, why did he let that whole flock of birds land there to eat the grubs while I parked in the driveway? God communicates to us in different ways, and I'm I'm on it. I could say to the Lord, I'm on it. I got the point, Lord, and I'm going to, uh, by his grace, not just plant the gospel seed, but I'm going to do what Paul did. I'm going to destroy arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, here's my closing. We could make America beautiful again, uh, righteous again. Our freedom is not going to guard itself. We have to guard it, see? It cannot maintain itself. We've acted like it like it would. I thought my beautiful lawn, once it was so, so fixed, so beautiful, would stay that way, but not so. So Paul wrote to Timothy, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. And we've got the greatest nation on earth entrusted to our care. We have our families. We have our churches. But boy, we have got to stay on guard and for our own souls. Now, I believe that we're in the beginning of a great awakening in our country, a great, uh, and, and, the, and the woke, you hear about people being woke and the cancel culture, that's a false revival, that's a demonic revival. But the Great Awakening, when I hand out tracts, the people that are usually the most grateful are the young adults. That's interesting, isn't it? That, and many of them just really thank me. Now, I don't know if this is true, but it's my opinion that most people just give up on the idea of having a really, really nice lawn. It's just too much trouble and not worth it to them. And I think... You see, if you think this way, I think most Christians have given up on the idea of a godly nation. But not me. You see, I'm going for the best lawn in town, and I'm going for national revival. Now, finally, this is my last closing. I want to give you a bit of insight from stuff I've been throwing out of the refrigerator. Now... I had a jug of milk in my refrigerator that says, best used by May 10th. So when I wrote this sermon, it was May 12th. The milk was still good, but then the next day I poured out what was left over. Now our individual lives have expiration dates. See, you could buy cottage cheese, it'll say best used by, by a date on there. And cans will say, use best by such a date. Well, there's an expiration date on you, and there's one on me. I've always wanted to bring God glory. Prayed that for 20 years. Then for 20 years, I prayed, I want to bring you massive glory. And for the last several years, I've been praying, God, I want to help other people bring you massive glory. And I figured that it would take a long time to bring God massive glory, so I've always prayed for and desired a long life because I wasn't bringing him glory fast enough to satisfy me. But I realized that, you know, a food item could be in a refrigerator for a long time, but that's not what counts. What counts is if it's used up before its expiration date. Not how long it sits on the shelf, not how long it sits in the refrigerator, and it doesn't count how long you live. What counts is, are you being used up? Now, Stephen, in the book of Acts, was martyred as a young man, and he had a miracle ministry. He was leading so many people to Christ. And I used to think, what a bummer. What a bummer to get cut off in the, in the prime of life when everything's you're being used in such a great way. So I always thought, well, I'd like to be a martyr like Stephen, but only when I'm really, really old. But now my prayer is more mature, and I'm saying, God, just use me up. Use me up, God. I don't want to 
be like an expired jug of milk with half of the milk in the jug. How long I live on earth isn't what counts. What counts is that I get all used up and that nothing of my life ends up being wasted. Some people, you know, spend the last years or months of their lives in really bad physical shape and are unable to help others. So they're like, they've lived past their expiration date. They're not dead, but they're, they're, uh, they were best used by a certain date. That date passed. They're still alive, but they're not being used. Well, we want to be used by God fully before we expire. Don't let all that God called you to do and all that he put inside you just expire unused. You're, you're best used by a certain date. You don't exactly know what that date is, so desire to be used of God now and every day for the rest of your life. And I would love to have each of you follow my example of just getting some tracks and taking them with you and saying to people that you meet, I'd like to give you a little Jesus loves you message. It opens like a book and then like a poster, and it's going to make you feel like God really loves you. It's so easy to do. You see, every dandelion flower goes to seed without fail, unless you pluck them off. If you leave them alone, they're going to go to seed really fast. They don't stay a flower very long. They go to seed quickly, and that's why they can spread so fast. Well, you're all like flowers, but I hope you'll all go to seed. <laughs> and so I'm going to pray a prayer for you. Are you ready? Here's my prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I pray that you'll use my dear friends in the last great worldwide revival. I pray that they'll all go to seed and bring many to Christ. I pray that you'll make each one of them like a well-watered garden like a spring of water whose waters never fail. And I pray that you'll use them to rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations so that they will be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. May you use them to make America righteous again. In Jesus' name. Well, friend, I hope you feel the love of God. I do love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com. Or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon 97426.